Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Okay. Yes, this weekend uh, we are returning to our study on uh, the Gospel of Mark in an all-new series called The Journey. And so today we're going to pick up in chapter 14 of Mark, where Jesus and his disciples are about to have the most famous meal in world history. Now, I've had some good meals, i got to tell you, uh, but this dinner was and is the most significant meal ever received. No other meal has ever been written about, talked about, or painted more than the Last Supper. And so every Sunday, somewhere in the world, the Last Supper is being remembered. Now imagine it's Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. You have about 24 hours before Good Friday. You know that you're going to the cross. Who would you want around you at your dinner table if it was your Last Supper? And then what would you want to say to them? What would you want to say to the people that you love? What would be most important to you? You know, we're all about, uh, we want to find out what Jesus wanted to say to his followers both then and what he's still saying to you and I today. So today's talk is titled, Adventure, Betrayal, and Mystery Revealed. Now, if you didn't receive your program notes, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will get those to you uh, quickly. And while they're doing that, I just want to pray for us. Would you bow with me? Uh, Father, as we read your scriptures today, would you speak to each and every one of us in a way that we need to hear what the Spirit is wanting to say to us? Open this passage. Uh, open our eyes to see and to hear what we need to hear. And just bring something fresh to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're in Mark chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 12. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent to his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, So they prepared the Passover. So the scene here opens with the disciples. They're anxious. They know it's the annual Passover. They're anxious to make preparations for the Passover meal. It's Thursday evening of the annual Passover. Everyone in that day would stop working at noon. And then around 3 p.m., they would slaughter the Passover lambs. The Passover was a meal involving uh, roasting a lamb, unleavened bread, wine, bitter herbs, uh, along with a sauce that was made of dried fruit, moistened with vinegar and wine, and it was combined with spices. So Jesus gathers his disciples around him to give them instructions. And it's, it's almost kind of like a scavenger hunt of sorts in that he says, hey, go into the city, uh, find a man, look for a man that's carrying a, a jar of water He'll meet you, uh, which was really uncommon because back then it was predominantly women that would carry the jars of water. So look for this unusual sight, 
follow him, and then say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? And then once you say that, ask, where can I eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he's going to show you into a large room upstairs. It's going to already be furnished and ready. Make preparations there for us to eat together. Now, how does Jesus know all of this? Why is it more like an adventure than just making simple reservations at a hotel? You know, we'd like a private room. We're going to have the Passover. Clearly, Jesus has knowledge that they don't have. He knows things that are unknowable in human knowledge. And some scholars actually speculate that when he got the disciples around, he knows Judas is in the group. And he doesn't want to give up his location right in front of Judas because he knows that that could interrupt his meal and he wanted to have that private time. He didn't want to be apprehended too soon. Interesting, right? Point number one, write this down. Following Jesus is more like a puzzle than a snapshot. God always has a plan, but he doesn't give it to you all at once. Wouldn't that be great if he did? But God is more like following him is more like uh, putting together pieces of a puzzle where you only see the next piece that's right in front of you. Following Jesus always requires faithful action on our part. It's like going on a scavenger hunt. One thing leads to the next thing, to the next thing, and then suddenly you arrive at where you need to be. And so God's will is revealed to us one step one piece at a time. It's like putting a puzzle piece together in a general idea that we think, you know what, I think I'm supposed to go this way, but I'm not really sure. And it takes one step of faith at a time. And as we take those steps of faith, what we find is more is revealed. And we adjust as we go along. You know, we love that big picture on the front of the puzzle box, that big vision that we see. But how we get there is a lot of little pieces coming together over time. And sometimes in finding the will of God, you'll try a puzzle piece and it doesn't quite fit. I thought it was this, but no, that didn't quite work. It was this. But when you find the right puzzle piece, it just fits. It locks right into place. And so our responsibility is to be obedient to the piece that's right in front of me. And the smartest thing we can do Whatever that is, is whatever God puts right in front of you. So in verse 17, it says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12 and they went into the upper room. Doesn't that sound cool? The upper room. Now, according to the rabbinic tradition, wise old sages would gather in the upper room and they would teach their students there. But on this particular night, not only would there be teaching, there would be this very special meal called the Passover. Now, this is where things get really dramatic. Verse 18, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. The most popular paintings of the Last Supper show the disciples usually sitting kind of serenely around a table in kind of a relaxed manner. And then if you look at the painting, you'll find that there's this one guy that's kind of dark-eyed, shifty-looking, and you know that's Judas, right? He's going to betray you and your mom, right? But the truth is, these disciples, if they were to take like a group selfie in this moment, they are anything but relaxed. They are absolutely horrified in this moment. This is not a relaxed setting. They're at a table of fellowship and they're around a meal that's very significant to the Jewish people because we don't get the weight of this. 
When we go out and eat, satellite, it's very casual. When you invited somebody at your table, if you were Jewish, it said it was a statement of trust. I'm now letting you into my family, and I trust you, and you trust me, and now we're going to eat together. But he's saying in this moment, around this very table of trust, there is someone who's eating dinner with us that is about to commit a horrendous act of betrayal. Now, Jesus had many dinners. We read about him throughout the gospel, partying with everybody, having a great time. But he's saying, one of our friends, someone in this small group around this table is about to betray me. In that moment, the mood of the dinner, (laughs) it, it dramatically shifted. It was very tense. At that point, the main thing that's on everybody's mind around that table is not what's gonna happen to Jesus, but who is it? I mean, who would do such a thing? Who's going to betray Jesus? And everybody's just tense at this moment. In verse 19, it says, they were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. One by one, they're trying to clear themselves. And in the Greek language, it literally reads this way. It is not I, with a question mark, because they know this is Jesus. He knows everything. And they're thinking, oh, no, it couldn't be me, right? And and they're asking for reassurance Please say it's not me. Please clear me. But Jesus doesn't bring any relief to anyone in the room. It's interesting that he didn't just call out Judas directly. He let every one of them feel the emotion and the reality that any one of them could be a Judas. Verse 20, it is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. This is so intense. You know, I would have just said something like, oh, I'm not very hungry anymore. Hey, Peter, here's my falafel. I mean, I I would just kind of like, I would be like so stressed, you know? I just want out of here. Can I have some more wine? (laughs) Jesus says, woe. Whoa, that word woe is like, it's not like woe, it's like, it's like woe, like heartfelt pity for this person who chooses to betray him. This person would be responsible for giving in, for, for listening to the enemy's whisper in his ear. In our day and age, it's like when someone does something, we always look for a reason to let them off the hook. Well, it was because of this and your child did or because of that or because of this. So therefore it just, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, I lied, but I'm not a liar, right? It's just, everything has to be washed out. It's, it's, it's okay. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, you're completely responsible when you betray me. I've often said when someone listens to gossip, when someone gets offended, when someone buys into a lie, They want to. Something in their own heart says, I want to believe the worst about that person. I I actually want to reject them. And I don't want to reconcile. But I know that socially I need to act like I want to reconcile, but I actually won't go to them. The scary thing is Judas, like all Judases, they create their own narrative their own story, to justify whatever it is that they're doing. That's the nature of it. And it's a repeatable pattern. Number two, write this down. Jesus is not surprised by betrayal. We are every time. I mean, that, that's what makes it betrayal, right? Who, who, whoever sees it coming. The mission of God requires betrayal. 
if you're following Jesus, if you're all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, if you're doing well, if you're going in the right direction, if you're giving your life to this, if you're making a difference, eventually you'll have a collision with darkness. And sadly, it always happens by those that are around you, those that are near you. That's what makes it so painful, so hideous. If Jesus had this happen to him, we will too. The good news is this, I can handle betrayal because I'm walking with Jesus. Jesus let his disciples know in advance, I will be be betrayed. You will be betrayed. But I'm never surprised by this. So when it happens, don't be alarmed. The truth is, we all betray Jesus in different ways. And to be real in my journey, we're talking about this journey in this series, to be real in my own personal journey, I have to face the truth. And that is, we are all a bundle of contradictions and inconsistencies. The Apostle Paul, he put it this way in Romans 7, verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. It's interesting when Jesus says, one of you will betray me. He uses a word that means this. One of you will hand me over or sell me out. Jesus is saying, one of you will serve me as long as it benefits you. You'll be with me as long as it benefits you, but you're eventually going to sell me out and you're going to hand me over the minute it costs you something to stand with me. For example, here is a person who is doing everything Jesus says, and you, go, and you see them. You go, wow, they're doing everything Jesus says. And then here's another person who's doing everything that Jesus says. If this person is doing everything that Jesus says to benefit themselves, and the other is doing everything that Jesus says simply to please Jesus, On the outward surface, you and I, we look at these people and we go, they look exactly the same to us. But their motivations are completely different. And the only way you're going to find out the difference is when things go badly. That's when you find out who your real friends are when life gets hard. That's when motivations, real motivations, begin to surface. So when we talk about why you follow Jesus, it puts a whole new look on why you might be following him and those who might be willing to betray him. You see, religion, for example, is motivated by a belief that goes something like this. Because I'm good, I'm accepted. And when I'm good, God owes me. If I do everything just right, then God will give me what I want him to give me. But the gospel is based on something entirely different. It goes like this. Christ has done everything for me. I can do nothing for myself. He owes me nothing, and I owe him everything. That's a completely different motivation. Two different motivations in following Jesus. Judas was looking for what he could get out of his relationship with Jesus, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked, and the thing that was in his heart most and what he wanted most eventually came out and was revealed. You see, the Judas part of us is the idea is this. If I do this, and this, and this, and this, then God's going to give me something in return. I'm looking for something in return in this relationship. And if too much trial, and too much tribulation, and too much pain comes my way, 
I'm gonna sell you out because you didn't give me what I really wanted. You see, I'm serving you to get something from you. My experience with betrayal is this. It always involves a person's true motivation, a willingness on their part to be deceived. You have to be willing. A willingness to then hurl a false accusation and then keep it going. And then a willingness to justify your actions over and over and over again. Let's look at verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take eat, this is my body. What's interesting is during the, this, the most important part of this meal, when the mystery of the gospel is about to be revealed, Judas misses it completely. He could not hear it. He could not hear what he needed to hear most. In John chapter 13, John's gospel, he tells us that Judas left early right after the bread, but before the wine. So Jesus, after Jesus gave them the bread, we know that he gave them a talk on unity. Interesting. Unity in the body of Christ and how we should treat one another within the body of Christ. You can find it in John chapter 17, this beautiful prayer. Judas missed the whole thing. Judas missed the cup. Judas missed Jesus' entire talk on unity because he left early. It's interesting that people who have given themselves over, given their hearts over to disunity or selfishness or judgment or offense are rarely present to hear what they so desperately need to hear. Verse 23, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank it. Assuming Jesus followed the established Passover meal, this would have been the third of four cups of wine called the cup of thanksgiving, which concluded the, the main portion of the meal. So before you assume that, man, that's a lot of drinking going on, Jesus. <laughs> this wine was mixed with water. However, it was wine, but it was mixed with water. However, Jesus did not drink the fourth cup. That cup was called the cup of consummation, which he will drink with us in heaven at what is called the marriage supper of the lamb. Verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In this one meal, Jesus establishes an entirely new covenant called the New Testament. And then he confirms it on the cross once and for all, the mystery of how the gospel, the good news, would come to all of humanity is now revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Leonardo da Vinci's painting, maybe you've seen it, The Last Supper, it's by far the most famous painting of The Last Supper, but one of the most intriguing stories about da Vinci's painting is not widely known. The room where The Last Supper was painted was in this very, very small dining room for the people who worked there at St. Mary's Convent. St. Mary of Grace's convent. Leonardo da Vinci took this stone wall in this small dining room and he literally turned it into a canvas by covering the stones with one layer of plaster after another until he had a completely smooth finish. 
And then he painted the entire wall with this brilliant white lead-based paint. And then that way, in the painting, you'll notice that there's some light coming through, and that's what represents that light shining through the windows. Now, there would be 13 people, of course. Jesus would be in the middle. You'd have six men on each side. The very first figure that da Vinci painted was Jesus Christ. And so to do that, he needed a model. So he goes into the city of Milan to find someone to pose for the face of Christ. And he didn't take this task lightly at all. He, was, he went to all the cathedrals in town. He went to the monasteries and he watched people that were coming into worship and he watched people that were coming out of worship and he was looking for a kind, gentle face that he just emitted a holy countenance that could be Jesus. And at last, he found a young man and he went up to him and he told him what he was doing and he asked him, would you be willing to pose as the face of Jesus? And the young man agreed to do that. And so he follows him and he follows him into this very small dining room where there's nothing on the wall, just, just a white wall. And when they arrive, he sees nothing. And he says, I want you to pose. I want you to be Jesus. And so he poses there as this model. And, and when he's done, when he leaves, when that young man leaves, all he sees on that wall is Jesus in the center of the wall. That's it. And he leaves. Now, we know that da Vinci, because of his notes and his sketches, that what he was going for in this painting is he wanted to paint the very moment when all of the disciples would hear from Jesus these words, one of you will betray me. And he wanted to paint their reactions on their faces, each and every one of them. Well, once he had completely finished Jesus and his entire figure and his face, he went out and he began to find each of the disciples, one right after the other. It took him three full years to paint every single disciple except for one, the very last one, which was Judas. And he said, I want to find the face of Judas. And so he, this time he didn't go to the cathedrals or the monasteries. He went to the most dangerous parts of Milan, the streets late at night, looking for the roughest, most depraved face that he could find. He went to the jails. He stayed outside of the prisons and waited for people who were being released from prison. He was looking for the most depraved criminal that he could find. And finally, finally, he found the worst person he could find. His countenance just just wrought with pain. Da Vinci approached him and said, would you be willing to pose for me? I've almost completed a painting and it's, it's in the convent of St. Mary's of Grace. And, and he said, yes, I'd be willing to do that. And so he follows him and the man agrees and he goes into this small little dining room and the man entered the room and he, he stood there just stunned for a moment as, as he realized, you know what? I, I think I've been in this room before. It was, it was three years earlier when there was nothing on the wall except this kind and gentle face of Jesus there, there was nothing lacking except the face of one man now on this painting. And suddenly the man grabs his head and he screams and he falls to the ground. And Da Vinci and the other people in the room are startled. And as the man falls to the ground, he says, three years ago, you asked me to pose as the face of Jesus Christ. And now three years later, you're asking me to portray Judas. Such is the mystery revealed of the Last Supper, a man whose face 
which was once full of gentleness and kindness, now is being used to betray evil because he had allowed his heart to be overtaken and his soul over time. This person, his entire countenance had changed in just three years simply by the choices that he made. When a person gives in to one wrong motive and then another, one wrong heart decision, one desire to judge, one desire to take offense, one desire to accuse, one desire to to, to betray, their countenance changes. You've seen it. Who they were as a person changes over time. But thankfully, point number three, God makes old things new. You see, the word that Jesus uses for a new covenant doesn't refer to an agreement between two equals. Rather, it's an establishment, an agreement between one person and that other person is God. And so you and I cannot alter this new covenant, this new testament that we've been given. We can only choose to accept it or to reject it. God loves you. God wants to change your heart from the inside out. God wants to take the old things that weigh us down, our sin, and he wants to give us a whole new life. It says in verse 26, the last verse, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's what we're going to do tonight, by the way, at Seek Night. Uh, We're going to remember and we're going to receive communion and we're going to sing a hymn and and we're going to worship with all of our hearts. But today... In this moment, this morning, as we go to our meals at lunchtime and dinnertime, from now on, you as a follower of Jesus, every time you receive a meal, you can remember what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. This was an afternoon, and it was an evening of adventure, betrayal, and mystery revealed. And it ended with Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the words of Peter in Acts, he said this. He said, repent, which means change your mind. Change your heart. Don't give in to those things. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is the Lord Jesus calling you to be saved? Is he calling you to be baptized today? This morning is about exchanging an old life for a new way of life. And in a few moments, each one of you are going to be given an opportunity to be baptized. So think about that. Today can be your baptism day. In baptism, we bury the old way of life, this watery grave full of all of our sins and all of the heaviness that our sins create, the bitterness, the betrayal, the deception, all of the different things that we struggle with in our humanity. It goes into that watery grave. And when a person comes up out of that watery grave, it is symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ into a new way of life. Who doesn't want that? That'll change your countenance. That'll change your life. Would you stand with me, everyone? If you would like to be baptized today, this is your moment. You can do that. We have extra towels and shirts in the back corner there. And as we sing this song together, we're going to make a uh, transition to prepare for baptism. And if God puts that in your heart to say, you know what, I want to do this. You just head to that back corner and they have everything that you need. Don't hesitate to do that. But let's worship together with our whole hearts. Amen. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.